0: Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandeville disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen or on your favourite podcast app.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Today, as more and more people get their second dose of COVID vaccine, we've got some paint-by-numbers practical advice. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released detailed guidelines on what people can do safely if they're fully vaccinated. And some of us are pining for similar advice from Canadian officials. But we've got your back, and we have the perfect guest to talk about life post-vaccination. Welcome back, Lenora.
0: Thanks for having me
1: again. How you been keeping?
0: Oh, adequate. (laughs) Adequate. (laughs) Things are improving here, so I, I I think I remain optimistic for a good summer. Hi, I'm Dr. Lenora Saxinger. I'm an infectious diseases uh, specialist at the University of Elbert Hospital. And since the pandemic started, I've been involved in the scientific advisory group for COVID-19, which has kept me quite busy.
1: Uh, so, Dr. Lenora Saxinger, welcome back to The Dose. Thank
0: you for having me.
1: The CBC gets lots of questions from people around what they can safely do after being fully vaccinated. And there's a lot of back and forth advice. So I'm going to ask you right off the top, why are people confused about what they can and cannot do?
0: Well, I think one of the big problems is that we've, we've seen, you know, very little detailed guidance come forward from public health uh, jurisdictions across Canada. I think, Compared to some places, as you mentioned, the CDC, which has put forward at the time, it seemed really quite bold, um, but very clear guidelines for what you could do after vaccination. We haven't really seen the evolution of that information um, in Canada as much, and it's very, very high level. And it leaves people in a position of, I think, having to kind of build their own adventure a little bit, and it's creating a little bit of stress, I think.
1: Adventure and stress. Um, interesting, interesting words. And we should make uh, clear uh, that um, uh, when we say fully vaccinated, we mean at least two weeks following your second dose. Am I right?
0: Yeah, that's important because, I mean, that, that's where we have probably the best data in terms of what we expect from how protected you are um, against you know various variants and also how pre- protected you are against hospitalization and and transmission to others, there, there is some data for people who are dose one vaccinated, but it's probably less certain. And so I, I really do think we should be getting people to focus pretty hard on getting the second dose as soon as they're uh, eligible to do so.
1: So there are CDC Centers for Disease Control guidelines. Before we get to those, what rules or guidelines actually do exist in Canada? You know, you're sifting through. You you know, you're talking to patients at, at all times. You're you, you're. I, I know you're aware of what the Public Health uh, Agency of Canada is talking about. So, what rules or guidelines actually do exist right now for fully vaccinated people in well, Canada?
0: <laughs> right now, I think there's a there's a bit of a gap because um, what we have is the provinces all have, uh, many of them have public health orders in place. And the public health orders, if they actually made them only apply to people who are vaccinated, you'd actually have to have really a process in place to officially um, assess someone's vaccination status. So have like a green card um, system like they did in Israel or, or vaccine passports like they have in other jurisdictions. And so unless that's in place, you can't really make the law apply only to some people because public health orders actually are, in fact, the law. And so the starting point is find out what is officially okay where you are, but expect that that's going to be evolving fairly quickly because, um, you know, in the absence of that detailed information um, and a system to uh, actually have the rules only apply to fully vaccinated versus non-fully vaccinated people or however it would come across you would actually have to basically just bank on the proportion of people in the population who are vaccinated. And so once those thresholds start getting reached, then we'll also see, you know, probably more clear guidance coming out. And in between, we have this kind of limbo for people.
1: So uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada released a roadmap for the summer, and they said, and I'm I'm quoting here, paraphrasing here, if 75% of those eligible for vaccines have one dose and 20% have a second dose, then restricting will will be lifted based on numbers in your region. Does that still make a lot of sense?
0: Uh, It's based on the modelling that they've done, and I I would assume that they're going to be updating that because there are a couple of variables going on and differences between places. So yes, I think that Ultimately, makes sense. It sets a fairly high bar, but now we're actually we're actually chugging along quite impressively across Canada to, towards meeting some of those thresholds. I, I think that it would be possible that people would look at that and say that it's quite unfair, especially if they were vaccinated fairly early on in the vaccine campaigns and are now well past their second dose. Um, that they they might feel like they should have you know kind of more leeway to uh, to regain some normalcy um, in their lives after this long period of. you know, basically social deprivation. And I'm quite sympathetic to that as well. So uh, I'm I'm hoping that it'll be reassessed to be as prudently open as possible as soon as possible, um, based on local data on transmission, because of course, you know, if your transmission is very low, the risk is going to be lower overall as well.
1: So let's break down what fully vaccinated people can and cannot do. So here's a really popular question that we get all the time. Can fully vaccinated grandparents bubble with their kids and grandkids, even if the kids and grandkids aren't fully vaccinated? What's the risk there?
0: Right. So again, you know, let, let, let's say from this point forward, starting with your public health rules, but going forward, what's reasonable um, as those rules are changing. The grandparents who've been fully vaccinated with a second dose, there's really good effectiveness data um, now from the UK and Scotland, especially showing that even people who are older can have a very good effectiveness to the current vaccines in use, well over 80%, and that they're largely protected against severe disease. You know, so so the risk is much, much less once you're fully vaccinated. Now, if you were a person who might be less likely to have a full immune response to a vaccine, so, you know, people who are on um, particular immune suppressing drugs, especially, but with multiple medical conditions, it's probably worth just pondering, you know, if, and and I think that this is clear, there's a major quality of life issue with not seeing your own family. And so if you're choosing to mm-hmm. see family, but you might have elevated risk, um, that you just actually continue to pay attention to those other things. So you have lots of protection from the vaccine. If you favor outdoors interactions and still pay a little bit of attention to the, you know, simple things like hand washing and making sure that anyone with any symptoms actually, you know, doesn't engage um, socially and gets tested because we do have people with positive tests after immunization. Um, If those things are done, then I actually think it becomes reasonable. And um, if you're going to favor... I guess, interactions with particular members of your family, you might actually go a little bit leaner on interactions with some other people just to keep your overall pool of contacts lower. Um, In addition to those is where you are, because if you're in a community that's currently battling like a, a Delta variant wave or something, then I think more caution is needed. If you're in a place that's been very, very quiet, and there's very low transmission, I think that you can feel a lot more confident.
1: And assuming, and I'm going to assume here, assuming that that it's okay to be for for kids and grandkids to be in the presence of their grandparents for hours at a time, perhaps enjoying a dinner together, then it would be okay for sleepovers and it would be okay for hugs.
0: Oh hugs hugs are like, yeah, please hug. (laughs) Hugs are brief. Um, (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) Try not to directly apply nasal secretions to each other's faces if possible. (laughs) But hugs are great. Kids are funny. Um, No snotty hugs. Yeah, exactly. Not not such naughty hugs. Um, so hugs are great. Um, extended times in shared airspace. If you're a medically at risk person, you might think about the ventilation. Um, and like I said, just favoring the simple things like, you know, favor outdoors, favor opening a window, um, but still have those quality times because, you know, life is short.
1: Uh, let's look at some other indoor activities. How safe is it for fully vaccinated people to eat indoors at restaurants? I know it's going to depend on, on local conditions, whether there's a lot of Delta in the community, but, but what can you say about that?
0: You know, this is an interesting one, and I think that we can look to some other jurisdictions because um, in places that have implemented kind of like a vaccine pass system, they have managed to you know continually drive community rates down even before they vaccinated youth and children. So, looking at Israel because they had a rapid full vaccination kind of uptake, and um, then they basically said, if you you're fully vaccinated, you know, show 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 your proof and go do all the things and That has been very successful. I think the wild card for us here is that, you know, if we're not actually implementing that kind of a system, which has its pros and cons, you don't really know that everyone in this space is fully vaccinated. And we know that it is possible, although the risk is reduced, of transmission as well um, in that setting, both to people who are vaccinated and from people who are vaccinated. That is like an odds game that's getting quite, quite low. It's just that we can't promise zero. Kind of people are starting to toe dip as the safety increases into these into these environments, and that we'll see we'll see continued tracking of what happens. My 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 guess is that we're not going to see much by way of outbreaks or transmission in that kind of a setting. I think people, by and large, are very careful. I also think that some people might take a while before they get back to that level of activity, even as the restrictions lift.
1: And, and of course, much of our conversation, our exchange right now is, is from the standpoint of people who know they've been vaccinated, whether they are able to prove it or not, you know, through vaccine passports. We don't have vaccine passports or green cards at the present time. Fully vaccinated means that, generally speaking, that people – and happily, that, uh, you know, very happily, that people won't die of COVID. But that doesn't mean – absolutely that they can't get infected or pass it on to others and and so you know we do get questions about variants like delta is there any reason you know in in the presence of variants to be cautious that if you're fully vaccinated you could still nevertheless go to an indoor space and get covid and pass it on to somebody else
0: yeah, so so this is kind of multiplication of odds again. So the the effectiveness um, after two doses against Delta for the mRNA vaccines in particular seems to be quite high, kind of in the high 80s. But you know that's not 100. percent Usually, I mean, there's some studies suggesting that you know uh, the amount of virus present in people who've been vaccinated, even if it's you know they acquired infection while they were building protection or whatever, um, is less, but it's not zero. So so we're kind of just Looking at, you know, the odds are low times the odds are low means the odds are very low, but they're still not zero.
1: Now, we've been talking about uh, eating in an indoor restaurant, but is there any difference between that and, say, going to a gym, going to an indoor concert, going to uh, an indoor party at a friend's friend's house?
0: I think there's some differences. I think a lot of restaurants have done a really good job with, you know, distancing and protocols and that if they continue, you know, keeping those structures in place, that they'll be pretty safe spaces by and large, especially, you know, the ventilation things, all that stuff. I mean, you know, if you're going to a large group gathering, I guess what worries me about stuff like concerts is that we never went to anything like that during lockdown. And so kind of you would tend to fall into your previous patterns of behavior, the familiar patterns, which would involve... Really, not very much distancing, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that those would be situations where increased vigilance would happen. And I would actually expect that kind of large group gathering might be one of the last things to come online. And I, I'm okay with that because I think what people are really missing is seeing friends and family in in you know a reasonable group for a reasonable amount of time without feeling so anxious. And with that coming into place um, over the summer, especially for outdoor gatherings, pretty much everywhere, I, I think that we. we. We can defer some of the large group stuff for a little while longer without really a big hit. So be vigilant if you go to anything outdoors to really kind of keep to the outdoors component and be still careful around the indoors component.
1: We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back in a moment. You know, Lenardo, it's it's really interesting. You know, you and I can commiserate. I don't know if you are a hockey fan. You know, the Edmonton Oilers are out. The Toronto Police are out. Go Habs, go! I never thought I would ever hear myself say that. But but as I as we look to the United States, look at the Nassau County Coliseum, look at Boston Garden, they are. You know, you've got full packed indoor stadiums, indoor arenas. People are screaming and yelling, and I am not hearing any super spreader events. Uh, occurring from from those venues. So at some point, it's got to be we've got to have the all clear, don't we?
0: You know, I think that's a really good point, which is, you know, the places that are a little farther ahead than us um, are a source of data for us. I think some of the hesitancy has been around waiting for more data on the likelihood of transmission after vaccination. Um, I think that what you might end up seeing if you look at the data from some places that are quite broadly open with pretty high um, um, vaccination rates is that if you have 50 to 60 percent vaccination rates, um, you don't see the spikes in the community, but you see a background rumble. And if that background rumble is something that the healthcare system can accommodate, which, you know, from my point of view, I think. The healthcare system is tired and has a lot of catching up to do. So it'd be nice to kind of reduce the grumble. But I, I think what we might find is that there is transmission associated with those venues, but it's not reaching news headline spikes.
1: We know COVID transmission is much less outdoors. How does vaccination status affect your ability to interact with others outdoors?
0: Well, I think the combination of being outdoors and being vaccinated should make you feel very comfortable. I think in the vast majority of settings, nothing makes you bulletproof, but that combination should prove very, very protective for people. And I think that, you know, you could, you should be able to be quite relaxed in an outdoors gathering, as long as you're not, you know, in a setting where people are kind of spitting in each other's faces a lot, (laughs) which would be maybe sporting or certain types of social drinky events.
1: We get lots of travel questions and I'm going to ask you, how safe is it for fully vaccinated people to travel domestically in Canada?
0: Yeah, that's a really, really pertinent one because a lot of people have deferred their you know, visits to family for so long now. And I think that this summer still looks pretty good for travel within Canada. But I think being cautious for another two to six weeks makes sense, um, because we're really looking for what happens with Delta in combination with the vaccination rates. And that if we're seeing that Delta is still contained in areas that are you know, mostly dose one vaccinated and catching up on dose two, that we're not seeing hot spots or flares then I think it's pretty reasonable. But what worries me is the idea of people traveling from across a risk gradient, so from an area of high to low risk or low to high risk. Because if you're going from low to high risk, you might be bringing something home. If you're going from high to low risk, you might be bringing something with you. And we do want to limit introduction of variants because multiple introductions make it much harder to contain. So I, I think that you know mid to late summer travel starts looking a lot more reasonable. And of course, it will depend on what the current public health guidance is but just from a practical point of view.
1: So that's domestic. What about international travel? I'm kind of thinking we should probably be a bit more vigilant when it comes to to international travel.
0: I would tend to agree with you. I think you no know, the whole question of intra- international travel really raises this issue of, of equity of vaccine distribution, which I think is yeah. huge. And it's the same concept of traveling across gradients of risk, because we're going to be amongst the fortunate group who has a very fully vaccinated population, people are going to be looking for those holidays. But a lot of the holiday destinations are places where they haven't had much vaccination. And because nothing makes you completely bulletproof, that means that you're traveling to a place that will increase your risk of an infection, even though you've been vaccinated.
1: I'm going to switch topics a little bit. Um, Last month, the CDC said fully vaccinated people can go mask free indoors or outdoors without any social distancing, except where local laws require it. Of course, Um, you know, we don't want to counsel people to to disobey the law. So should Canada follow suit?
0: yeah I think that's an interesting one um so I think the the c d c tactic to me really read as we are offering many carrots for vaccination. Here's some more carrots <laughs> interesting. Um, whereas the kind of cautionary approach that we've seen like uh, in most places across Canada has been more along the lines of you know that that there really was very little data on asymptomatic um, test positivity and transmission. After vaccination, at the time the CDC started making guidelines. And so it did read as being kind of bold. Like, I mean, like, likely transmission is greatly reduced, likely um, we don't expect many problems, but they kind of just boldly went forth <laughs> and made some rules. Now, the evidence around asymptomatic transmission and asymptomatic positivity after vaccination is continuing to come in and it's globally reassuring like everything has been on the same path as suggesting lower risk of transmission after vaccination
1: um, you know when we talk about fully vaccinated we're talking about about two doses and since we're talking about two doses there's, there's some pushback now on the 12-week wait for the second dose for dose two for those who had the AstraZeneca vaccine first uh, that the science doesn't support such a long interval especially with delta in the mix and I just wanted to get your take on that.
0: Yeah, that's a really practical one because the people who, you know, Team AstraZeneca really stepped up to the plate and now they, I think, might be feeling a little (laughs) bit like they're unfairly um, being disadvantaged at this point. You know, I, I think that the evidence that we have of the switch strategy where you get your second dose as an mRNA vaccine is coming in right now. And so there was one publication from Germany um, and it was a series, and they saw really excellent boosting with uh, with Pfizer at eight weeks. And so I think that that would be recommendable, even though it's not a massive study. It really kind of fits with what we know of vaccinology. Um, and, and I think that that would be enough to to maybe sway public health to say an eight week interval for your second dose of a, of an MRNA vaccine is fine. And then the big study, which is the best quality one, again, from the UK because they rock um, is they did one and three month um, switch strategies. So like all combinations of AstraZeneca, Pfizer at one and three months. And so the data from their one month switch uh, we're expecting to become available like soon, like very soon. And that would also help because if we then have data saying that at one month, you get an excellent antibody boost and eight weeks, you get an excellent antibody boost. I think that gives you a lot more ground to, uh, to kind of be more flexible on the second dose. We just also want to make sure that people get... Uh, you know, we have an expectation of what we think the immune response will be like with giving it earlier. Because with AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca, we do know that it's best boosted at three months um, based on current data. So, uh, so I think there's just a bit of a data gap. I actually expect that there's going to be more urgency to, to making a policy on that so that the AstraZeneca recipients can get their dose two in the most reasonable, timely way because of the Delta variant problem where we think that a mm. single dose of AstraZeneca is not going to be highly protective for
1: Delta very practical answer and and I know there are a lot of people on team uh, AstraZeneca so uh, thank you for 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 looking at that in in such detail um I I wanted to 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 switch gears slightly um because you know some people on social media you know criticized me and have criticized others who have put forward the need for reentry guidelines um, you know, once you've been vaccinated. And and the argument they've used is that that interferes with personal freedoms. So I'm going to ask you, as an expert, as an infectious diseases consultant, why are the rules that, that you and I have been talking about important?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, because I think that, um, to me, the point of rules of reentry are to just allow people to accurately risk stratify for themselves. And so if you kind of give a give some boundaries about what appears to be, and I'm going to be honest, usually guidelines tend to be quite conservative. Usually they tend to be quite risk averse. It gives people a kind of a jumping off spot for deciding, um, you know, what what activities they'll engage in. And a lot of people, I think, you know, there's two options. They're either going to get some guidance or they're going to just take a guess themselves at what might be reasonable guidance, or they're just going to skip the whole thing and do whatever. And I think that that last case is the one that's kind of worth avoiding because A lot of people, I think if they have, you know, some reasonable boundaries that are fairly simple in terms of what are the principles that you would use, would be able to easily modify what they choose to just choose, you know, lesser risk activities as we continue to learn um, about what's okay and what we expect with transmission in our vaccinated population. I I, I do feel the frustration of things being maybe seen as being too cautious, but, um, you know, finding some middle ground with a bit of guidance seems like the best way to me as well.
1: Dr. Lenora Saxinger, as usual, thank you so much for some very practical answers to some important questions.
0: Thanks very much for having me again.
1: Dr. Lenora Saxinger is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Alberta. Here's your dose of smart advice. You're considered fully vaccinated two weeks after getting your second dose of COVID vaccine. Once you're fully vaccinated, it will be largely safe to be indoors with kids and grandkids who are partially vaccinated, Same for indoor restaurants and other indoor activities. Being fully vaccinated should make it safe for you to travel across Canada, but you still need to be aware of local outbreaks of the Delta and other variants where you live and where you'll be traveling. Wherever you are, following public health orders in your area continues to be crucial. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBC CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Austin Pomeroy for technical operations. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose.